tell me, would you rather be a dog or be a cat? It's time for you to think about important things like that. When Dr. Seuss published those opening lines in his 1972 book, Would You Rather Be a Bullfrog? There was little, if any sense at all, that the words should be taken literally, that such a thing would be even remotely possible. My, how times have changed. In a culture like ours, where identity is said to be a psychological more than a biological reality, Therianism, the belief of a person that she or he is an animal, and other kin, the person who identifies as non-human and often an animal, is, if not on the rise, at least out in the open. Can you believe we actually live in a society that calls for accommodation of the one who says he's a dog or she's a cat? And whether we want to or not, it's time for us to think about important things like that. Father, we humble ourselves now before your divine, holy, and perfect word. We gather, Lord, to hear your truth. And we pray, Father, that where we find it to be in conflict with our own sense of how things are, we would truly defer and replace our senses with what you say to be real. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Finishing some thoughts um, on what the Bible says about gender. Since it was two weeks ago, let's start with a little bit of a review. I don't know how your memory's faring these days, but mine's definitely not what it used to be. Four observations we made two weeks ago from the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, the scripture that Mike just read. The first is this, that there is a God who is the creator of everything. There is a God. God is the creator. We have a world because God made it. And we're here because God made us. Second, God's creation is good. Very good. Holy good. Vehemently good is what that means. When God looked on his creation, he said, this is really good. That was true at the time of creation, remember, and we, we noted from Genesis 3 that when sin entered the world, things changed. And they became, and they still are, distorted. And that explains for us why life is so hard, why we struggle with so many things, with relationships, why we rebel against God, why there is even such a thing as gender confusion. So we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Third, God created mankind in his image. Nothing else in creation has this distinction or privilege. 
According to the Bible, humans alone bear the image of God. We are, according to the Scripture's teaching, more than an advanced animal. We are crowned with glory and honor, created to bear the image of God in the world and to have dominion over creation. Fourthly, God created mankind, male and female. That's where we left off last time. That's where we pick up today. God created mankind, male and female. Now, historically, this has not been controversial. But as I noted at the beginning of this message, we live in a time where some are actively promoting the concept that gender is not determined by one's biological sex at birth and is instead a state of mind that it is psychologically determined by the individual. Hence, we have relatively new terms to learn and more boxes to look at on important forms. There is transgender, which denotes or relates to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender doesn't correspond with their birth sex. We also hear about this idea of gender fluidity, The change over time in a person's gender expression or gender identity or both, that change might be in expression but not identity, in identity but not expression, or both expression, and identity might change together. I alluded earlier to Therianism, to other kin, and there are multiple derivatives of these with people moving in and moving out of perceived animal identities and personas, and these really don't begin to scratch the surface of the gender and identity possibilities that are spoken of today. So let me ask you, what do you think about these things? And let me ask you, what do you base your thoughts upon when you think about these things? Is one's gender really a matter of preference? Are there more than two options? Is one's identity psychologically determined? It is up to you? Is it up to me to decide to be a woman or a man or a cat? Here's where a lot of Job's questions. You read it in Job chapter 28 and verse 12. If you're doing the reading through the Old Testament plan, then you've come through this section already. Here is where one of Job's questions comes into play. You recall that Job had suffered greatly. He experienced the loss of his wealth, his livestock, his children, even his health. And among all the theories that were offered him to explain his condition of suffering, amidst all the counsel and the conclusions drawn by his so-called friends who were miserable comforters by his own admission, worthless counselors, and overconfident know-it-alls. Anybody have any of those people in your life? Thank you, not helpful. He asks a question, Job chapter 28, verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? You see, everybody seems to have an opinion. And everyone feels like they do a good job of connecting the dots and making sense of the circumstances and the events 
the world around them. But what is true wisdom? And where is it found? After talking for a while about what it's not and where it's not found, Job answers his own question, Job 28, 28, and he, God, said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, Job says, is wisdom. Now that should sound familiar to you, right? Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom is found, the Bible continuously tells us, when wisdom begins with God and reverence for God. So if we want to know the answers to the hard questions or to be confident in what is right when Christianity and culture come to an impasse, we should not begin at all with ourselves. We surely should not be following our own hearts, which is a common counsel that we get today, and yet the Bible tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked, that they are deceitful. So we shouldn't be following our own hearts. We should be wary of self-professed experts, talking heads. We want to shy away from the few people who live in our own little echo chambers, who are going to tell us what we want to hear anyway because they like us. If we want answers to the hard questions, we begin with God. We defer to God. He has the wisdom that we don't. He has the wisdom that we need. And according to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, He's willing to give that wisdom out to us generously and without reproach. In other words, you're not going to be scolded by God because you don't have an answer. Actually, he already knows you don't have the answer, and he's fairly tickled that you would turn to him for it. Ask, and you will receive. The Bible says we go to God when we need wisdom, and we ask him, what does he have to say about this matter? And how will we know what he has to say? Are we looking for a booming voice coming from heaven? No, the answer is the Bible. The Bible is God's word to man. And 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For training in what is right. The Bible is good for us to train us in what is right. Or as the message paraphrase puts it, for training in how to live God's way. Scripture is given to us by God to show us who He is and to instruct us in what He wants. It trains us to live His way. The Bible not only teaches us how to live according to God's design is pretty clear about what happens or what we can expect to happen if we don't. If you have your Bible with you this morning, take a quick jaunt to Romans chapter 1. We'll just stay here for a moment. But in Romans chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 21. 
This is the issue the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 1, the plight of humanity. The common plight of humanity. Romans 1, 21. Although they, that is people, humanity, mankind, knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Although they knew God, although they knew God, God's Word says that humanity is without excuse when it comes to knowing God. The heavens declare the greatness of God. We read that in the Psalms, and Paul makes the same case here in Romans 1. Creation speaks to us of the existence of a Creator God. But although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And they did as they pleased. And they did what they thought best. And God gave them over to themselves. If you want to worship yourself, God says, I will let you worship yourself and you will come to the end of self-worship. That is the end. You do you and be true to yourself. Always has been, always will be because we are creatures created to be true to another. And this, it seems to me, is sort of an apt description of where we're at on this issue of gender in our society. We are off the road, and we are sinking deeper into the mire. This is why a biological male can call himself a female and is allowed to shatter hard-won women's swimming records. This is why male Bruce can become female Caitlin, and that's okay. But white Rachel, who identifies as black Rachel, is run out of town. This is why a 12-year-old elementary student can receive secret counsel at school that she ought to think of herself as a boy, unbeknownst to her parents who were not told of the council because of their Catholic beliefs. This is why Apple comes out with an emoji of a pregnant man. And this is the most ridiculous thing I have seen in a long time And the reason I say that is because we all know if men had to have babies, the whole thing would have been extinct long ago. 
Guaranteed. There isn't a man who would do that. I saw it. And I apologized. And I told my wife, if you never, ever want to do that again, it's okay with me. A pregnant man. That's how stupid this stuff is. We have got some issues. And I don't bring all that stuff up. Just to gin up a little outrage, right? That's the thing today, right? Oh, we're all so outraged. I don't even know what you believe in. You don't even know what you care about. Stop pretending you're outraged. Outrage isn't doing anything. Is anybody getting closer to the truth? Is anybody getting closer to one another? No. I don't bring this stuff up so that we can, as a, as a, we can create our own little, we literally have an echo chamber here, but our own little echo chamber where we, can, where we can just affirm what we all believe and walk out of here feeling a little more righteous about things. That is not why I bring this stuff up. I bring it up because we need to talk about it because it's an issue in our society. And I just want to point out to you, A, that we have a problem be that we have a problem. And this problem, even though it seems like it's so complex, and it is complicated in some levels, it really is, but on another level, and at the same time, it's really easily identifiable. It is traceable to a single cause. And this is what the Bible calls sin. When God created everything, what did he say about it? He said, it's good. It's good. It's very good. And after creating humanity, very good. Creation in its perfection. No flaws, no blemishes, no imperfections whatsoever. That's Genesis 1. And then comes Genesis 3. And I'm going to assume that you are familiar with this part of Scripture. If you're not, then I just encourage you to go back and read. Uh, at some point, Genesis chapter 3, at least the first 21 verses, read, the whole, read, read Genesis 3, I think it is only 21, because that explains the mess that we are in today. For while creation was perfect, part of that perfect creation included choice, and shortly after God established his expectations for Adam and Eve in the garden, They chose to rebel against them. They listened to the voice of the tempter who cast doubt on the goodness of God and the truth of his word. He still does that, you know. That is still like the most common thing that the enemy of our souls does. Listen, know this, bank on this. The enemy of our souls would rather we see God as the unreasonable, domineering parent who won't let us go to the party, who truly looks out for our best and sets up boundaries to guide us into it. When our ancestors fell to temptation in the garden and disobeyed God and all sorts of stuff then began to happen that wasn't good. They hid themselves from God. They were ashamed. 
not only uh, of what they had done, but then of their own bodies. The scripture says they were ashamed of their nakedness. They covered themselves up. They made fig leaves for clothes. Emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, they were ashamed. And you know, since the fall, there is a great insecurity and a dis-ease that's present in most all of us. It's, it's the sin in us. It makes us uncomfortable in our own skin. And once rebellion against God happened, the harmony between the first husband and wife was shattered. Adam blamed his wife for his own bad decision. And, and, and he started this marital tradition that all of us married people understand and know that our spouses are the problem? (laughs) You just get your stuff together and my life would be a lot better. Yeah, okay. Eve blames the tempter as if she had no say in her response to temptation. And of course, God was accused as well, remember? Adam, listen, if you'd never made this woman, there wouldn't be an issue in the first place. As soon as sin was introduced, perceptions became skewed, and one's ability to rightly assess truth and reality was compromised. Before the first sin, selfishness and self-protection and justification were absolutely unnecessary, but now that transgression has occurred, Adam and Eve scramble to preserve themselves, to protect themselves, to ascribe blame to others and to proclaim their own victimhood. I am the way I am because of you, you, this, and that. Before sin, Adam was a friend of God, and God was a friend of Adam. They walked together. After sin, God became, in Adam's experience, an enemy someone to be avoided, and ultimately God became the object of Adam's hostility. Just look at the way he speaks to him. Before sin, Adam and Eve walked with God. After sin, Adam and Eve were understandably banished by God from the paradise of Eden, separated from that daily, intimate, close fellowship they once enjoyed. And you understand this, right? We said it many times, it's always true, sin separates. Sin separates. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. Sin separates. Sin makes us want to run and hide from God. Sin makes us angry with God. makes us unable to to tolerate His presence, even to be in His presence. That's Genesis 3 in a nutshell. That's what what we know as the fall of man, okay? And so you may be wondering, wow, what does any of this have to do with us? And what does any of this have to do with the subject of gender? Well, you do understand that Genesis 3 is not just a story about two people and their God in an isolated point in time. Okay? 
When Adam sinned, the Bible teaches, sin entered the race. Humanity became corrupted, broken, flawed, distorted, and disordered. All of us. Several years ago now, and I may have shared this story with you because I'm at that stage in life where I don't remember anything, much less the stories I've ever shared. But several years ago, there was a fellow who came in off the street looking for a little assistance. Now, that's one of the advantages. There are many, but that's one of the advantages of being a downtown church. There's the people actually walking around town, and if they need a hand, they're not, they're not afraid or ashamed to stop in and ask for help. And that's what this fellow did. And when he came to me, he said, Pastor, I wonder if you might, and he was speaking kind of in a rushed tone, like there was a bit of urgency in his, in his voice. I wonder if you could help me, if you could maybe get me a ticket to Brattleboro. Brattleboro. Why on earth would you want to go to Brattleboro? Brattleboro, Vermont. Well, because they have a, they have a, good, they have a, a nice shelter over there. I said, okay, so you want, a, you want a ticket to go to Vermont so that you can go to the shelter in Brattleboro. He said, yes, yes, please. I said, well, um, why do you need to go to Brattleboro? He said, well, because there's no room here, and there's no room in the shelter in Ellsworth. I said, okay, that's not uncommon. It's not a big shelter. It's often full. I said, how do you happen to come to Ellsworth? Well, I came to Ellsworth so that I could stay at the shelter. I said, oh. You actually came here to stay at that shelter. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. But they're full, so I can't. Okay. All right. And you want to go to Brattleboro. Yes, they have a very nice shelter in Brattleboro. You know this. Yes, I've been there several times, many times. Yes. Okay. Do you know if they have any room at the shelter in Brattleboro? (gasps) I didn't think of that. I understand. Let's call the shelter in Brattleboro, which we did, and they had room. I said, well, you're in luck, friend. We can get you that ticket, and we can get you to Brattleboro. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, now in that day, this is how you did it. You had to go down to Mike's store and get yourself a ticket that was going to get you from Ellsworth to Bangor, where you could get another ticket to go from Bangor to Brattleboro. And that's, that was the plan, and that's what we did. And I sent this fellow on his way, and he seemed very, very happy to have been helped. Very appreciative. As far as I knew, that was the first time and the last time I'd ever see this man. Until I looked up, and he was back in my office. And I said, what, what are you doing? You, you, you know, I sent you down to, to Mike's. We got the ticket. You were supposed to... You're supposed to be on the bus to go from Ellsworth to Bangor and then Bangor to Brattleboro. He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I, I missed the bus. I said, the bus is right there. How do you miss the bus? I don't know. I don't know what I did. I don't know how I lost track of time. I don't know. He sits down in my office. He puts his head in his hands. He goes, this stuff keeps happening to me. What is wrong with me? And I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking to myself, clearly, a little mental illness is at play. 
And what's really wrong with you, friend, is just sin. When we think of sin, we often think of that malicious, defiant, rebellious part, right? And that exists. There's plenty of of rejection of God and anger with God and acting out against God going on. But you understand there's also this just pervasive brokenness through us all. Sin in every one of us. You understand, don't you, that we are all broken just in different ways. That is the human condition. That is what David was talking about in Psalm 51 after he had committed adultery and he is confessing to God. And he prays to God and he says that in sin did my mother conceive me. And when he said that, he wasn't saying as if he was the product of some sordid thing like an affair or or whatnot. What he's lamenting is the reality that his trip into adultery was not just a one-time slip-up, but evidence of his complete depravity. Sin is the human condition. And in Adam, all sinned. Sin entered the race. And as we see in Genesis 3, there is a spiritual, relational reality to the presence of sin, which is alienation from God. And there is an intellectual, emotional reality to the presence of sin, which is our inability to see well, to see perfectly or clearly. And there is a physical reality to the presence of sin in the world in that all things living are subject to corruption. Everything's flawed. Nothing in this world now functions the way it was created to perfectly. We are surrounded by disease and defects and eventually death. That, my friends, is the pool that we're all swimming in. This is what is at play in human suffering in general, and specifically in the issue we're addressing today of confusion over human sexuality and gender. And we need this backstory. We need this solid in our minds. I do hope some of you are sitting there saying, you haven't, you, Scott, you have not told me one thing I didn't already know. Good. I'm not here to come up with something new every week. I'm here to equip us with truth, right? And we need this, we need this backstory solid in our minds. Because our world is absolutely rife with Job's counselors. With their sincerely held, but sincerely wrong theories. And we know where the needed wisdom is found. We know where wisdom comes from. We have the answer for the gender-confused son or daughter, friend, classmate, or co-worker. And what is the answer? The Bible says the answer is Jesus. For the one who is in need of direction, the one who is looking for reality, the one who is striving to feel fulfilled, what does the Bible say about Jesus? I am the way. I am 
the truth. And I am the life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, who came to this earth and its people, not to judge and not to condemn, but to save. He came to call sinners. That means He came to call us, for we are all sinners. And He came as a great physician for the human race. And when He was ridiculed and accused and criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And what does Genesis 3 say about us? We're all sick. I'm not pointing a finger out here saying you're sick. I'm saying I'm sick. We're sick. Everybody is sin sick. And Jesus says, so I didn't come to call the righteous. I, didn't, I did not come to call people who don't have any problem with sin. Well, mostly because those people don't exist. I've come to call sinners. Those who are confused about their sexuality, their gender, those who the Bible would, would uh, call sexually immoral, are certainly among those who Jesus has in mind And in no way are they beyond the loving, healing touch of Christ. The answer is Jesus. Jesus came to restore us to a right relationship with God, to reconcile sinful humanity to a holy God. In our sin, and particularly when we are willfully choosing sin, we are far from God. It's a bit simplistic, but I've read it and I've experienced it myself. If it feels like God is far away, who moved? Oftentimes we separate ourselves from God and then we lament the fact that He feels so far away when in fact we have not been busy about drawing near to Him. While sin separates us from God and from others, Jesus came to put that back together. And he did that by paying the penalty of our debt of sin with his own life. What theologians call this a substitutionary atonement, right? He took your sins to the cross as if they were his own, and he paid your personal debt of death with his death which was a punishment that he did not deserve because he never sinned, but he did that for you. So that when you trust what Jesus has done for you, on your behalf, when you believe that, and you surrender your life to him, and God looks on you, he does not see your flaws and your brokenness and your sin, he sees the righteousness of his son. Your sins, when you believe in Jesus, are paid in and your reward because of His obedience, not because of yours. We all stumble in many ways, but because of His obedience, your reward is eternal life. That is what the Bible says. Jesus came to restore us 
to restore lost humanity through a right relationship with God. Jesus came to reveal God. You know, the enemy of our souls wants to distort our view of God. Always he wants to cast dispersion on God. Jesus came so that we could understand who God was, so that we could see him. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. And Jesus, according to Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Read about Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Forget your own understanding. Forget your preconceived notions of what God must be like based on your experiences or observations. And look at Jesus and listen to what God says about Him and what He has done. Because if you will do that, you will find there a Savior, a Lord, and a friend. In Christ, you no longer have to run away from God. You do not have to hide from God. You do not need to rebel against God. Because He is for you. God is for you. He is not against you. He is one who sympathizes with all the struggles that you're going through. He's one who knows suffering. And more than anything, one who truly loves you. God loves you as you already loves you too much to leave you that way, friend. Jesus has overcome sin for you so that you can overcome sin. Amen? He's overcome sin for you so that you can overcome sin and the wages of sin, which is death. Jesus has come that we might know God. And He said, I've come into this world as light. John 12, 46. So that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. In other words, darkness is our starting point. Darkness is our default. We're all there. But we don't have to stay there. Jesus has come as light. Jesus came to render, reorder our lives under His Lordship. To reorder our lives under His Lordship. So apart from Jesus, we are all slaves to sin. I know that doesn't make people feel real good, and I understand that's not good for our self-esteem, but it's what the Bible teaches, that we are all slaves to sin apart from Christ. That sin and its wrong desires, that, that is our master. And Jesus came to set us free from that. And he said, and it's recorded in John chapter 8, verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now that is not a freedom to be the best version of yourself that you can be. It is freedom to be who you were created to be. It is, it is freedom to be who you can be, whether you believe you can be it or not. That is the kind of freedom that Jesus is giving us. Because of Jesus. He came to reorder our lives under His Lordship. And when we are willing to accept that reordering and come under His Lordship, surprisingly we find it to be a place of great joy and rest and peace. What are you talking about, Pastor? I like being my own boss. Not for long you don't. You feel the pain. You feel the struggle. You know the stress. We were not 
We were not made to be free-range beings. You know that? We don't do good with that. We get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. And there's a reason the Bible refers to us as sheep. We need a shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he came that we might reorder our lives under his lordship and under his leading. And he came to redeem. To redeem means to buy back, right? To purchase back. Jesus came to buy back all that was corrupted and tainted and ruined by the fall. He came to redeem. And how much did it cost Him? What is the price of your redemption, friend? What is the price of your redemption, Christian? It is the blood of Jesus. His own blood shed on the cross where He suffered and died to give everlasting life to all who will believe in Him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought with a price. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So if you're part of the counseling cohort, you're going to pick up on 1 Corinthians 6 and you go, Oh my goodness, there's an indicative. There's the why, there's the rationale, there's the reason, and there's an imperative. There's what to do with it. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. This is, this is at least the answer of the gender issue for those who profess to be Christian. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Glorify God in the body that God gave you. Jesus died for you. He died for you so you could live for Him. The purpose of life is to make much of God, not to make much of yourselves. And not to seek the fulfillment of your every longing, especially those that fall outside the grand design of created order. The gospel, the good news, is the one who can do this. Live for God. Glorify Him in the body. In the strength of Christ can be saved and can live differently and can overcome. Not only will Jesus set you free from sin, He promises this in Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is my life. This is my identity. This is my sexuality. Does it line up with what God says is right and good and true? And if it doesn't, then lose it and you will find life. But work so hard to keep it and you'll lose everything. Is this true? Is this true? It is true! Oh, yeah, but We're talking about gender. We're talking about sexuality. We're talking about things that are hardwired and unchangeable, right? Well, unless you believe in gender fluidity. 
Is it true? Of course it's true. Is there anything, friend, in creation that is outside the reach of the Creator? No! Absolutely no. This is good news. Not just for your small gambling problem. Not just for your short temper. Jesus Christ is good news to get in there and take care of the things that are causing the most pain and problems and struggles in your life. The gospel is true for that. Do you believe that? I think you believe that. I hope you believe that. And I think, again, some of you will say, well, you really haven't told us anything we don't already know. So understand this. You may get it, but when you go out those doors, there's a world full of people who don't. Who's talking to them? Who's showing them an alternative? Who is pointing them to Jesus? That's our job, friend. That's our job. So we need to have it solid. Is this true? Absolutely, this is true. Beckett Cook was a successful Hollywood designer and a known gay man who lived the gay lifestyle to the fullest until he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And after that, he renounced that lifestyle in obedience, incurring the wrath and the blacklisting of his colleagues in Hollywood who were all too happy for him in his homosexuality, but unaccepting of his Christianity. And he wondered why his so-called friends were accepting of him when he thought being true to himself meant acting out on his homosexual tendencies, but they were angry with him when he thought being true to himself meant turning his back on that behavior and embracing Jesus. Well, you ponder that for a while and see if you can figure out what the real issue is. It certainly isn't you be you if I don't like who you are, is it? He is a good voice to listen to on this matter, and he writes this. All of us experience dysphoria between who we are and who God created us to be. The answer to resolving this dysphoria cannot be found by looking within yourself or to others for approval It can only be found by uniting yourself to Christ. Surrendering my sexuality hasn't been easy. I still struggle with vestiges of same-sex attraction. But denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus is an honor. Any struggles I experience pale in comparison to the joy of a personal relationship with the one who created me and gives my life meaning. My identity is no longer in my sexuality. It is in Jesus. Prayerfully, today, as you hear this message, your identity is also found in Jesus. But if it is not, then it can be. The issues in your life may not have anything to do with gender or sexuality, but some other struggle, some other disorder, addiction, conflicts, pride, 
hurt. Perfectionism, it matters not what your specific issue is. They all come from the same place. That is sin. And they all lead to the same place. And that is death. And in His life, death, burial, and resurrection, Christ has conquered sin and death. His victory can be your victory if you call on Him to save you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Just for a moment, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to do that today, then I'm just going to read a prayer here and I encourage you to sort of repeat it in your own heart and unto God. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I need and I want your forgiveness. I accept your death as a penalty for my sin. And I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you will offer to me because of your great love and it is not based on anything I have done. God, cleanse me. Wash me in the blood of Christ. Make me your child. And by faith I receive you into my heart as a son of God and a Savior and the Lord of my life. From this moment on, God, help me live for you. With you in control of my life. Amen. If you by chance prayed that prayer this morning, then please tell somebody about it. Maybe somebody that you came with. Maybe a friend, a Christian friend, or maybe you hang around here and we have a conversation afterwards. But do let somebody know. I want to close with a few wise words from a prolific hymn writer named Elisha Hoffman. This is a hymn that we've sung quite a bit together. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the Spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield Him your body and soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for knowing our questions and giving us the answers. The answer in your Son, Jesus. We thank you for knowing our problems and for sending the solution in your Son, Jesus. Father, may the truth of your word, and not the deceitfulness of this world, be our guide and our light all our days.
Amen.